The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our scripture text this morning is Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male child who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought him, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. The sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This morning, we're continuing in the Gospel of Luke. We've we've been looking at Luke's accounts of the events surrounding the birth of Christ in Luke Luke chapter 1 and 2. And this is our seventh sermon, our seventh Sunday doing this. And uh, we've covered the the angels' appearances, uh, announcing the, the birth of John the Baptist and the virgin birth to Mary. We've, we've uh, looked at the Sovereignty of God in the declaration of Caesar Augustus that all the world should be counted in a census. And that sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem where Jesus was born according to the prophecies of the Old Testament. And, uh, and then last week we saw the, the angel speak the good news of great joy, which will be for all the people for today. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then the sky lit up with angels singing glory to God and 
peace among those with whom God is pleased. So that's where we've been, and now we pick up the story in the days after the birth of Jesus. And Mary and Joseph, being devout Jews, set out on the eighth day to observe circumcision. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to list four things that happen here, and they all turn out to be pointers to who Jesus is. So circumcision of Jesus turns out to be a pointer for who he is. And then Jesus is, is presented or consecrated in the temple, and that occasion turns into a pointer of who Jesus is. And then while they're at the temple, Mary and Joseph meet up with these two elderly, godly, Old Testament saints. Simeon and Anna, and the interaction that, that Simeon has with Mary and Joseph turns out to be a, a pointer to who Jesus is. And then the account closes with Anna pointing to Jesus. So there are these four, four movements in our, in our text, four events, the circumcision of Jesus, the presentation of Jesus, the praise and the prophecy of Simeon, and then the thanksgiving of Anna, which all serve to point to who Jesus is. So that's my outline. And uh, with that, let me pray and we'll, we'll get to it. Oh, one more thing I wanted to tell you. <laughs> and that is this, my aim. i got to tell you my aim. <laughs> I mean, I, I read this and I cannot help but lift my head from looking at this text. <sighs> Asking God to make me a person of hope. Hope. You know, what's sustaining Mary and, and uh, Joseph here? Hope. I mean, we're, we're, we, it does make a big deal that these are godly devout people, Mary and Joseph and Anna and, and Simeon, but, but the takeaway is not that we necessarily, it's not the first takeaway, that we be like them because the only reason that they're that way is because there are people who hope in Christ, the consolation of Israel. And so the call here in my mind is to be a, a people of hope. That we would be a people of hope even when things aren't going the way we would want them to go. We'd be a people of hope when we can't necessarily see how the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. So, that's my aim. That that God would make us to be a people who hope in Christ, the consolation of Israel and, and our consolation too. That in him we might know the joy and the peace that he has come to give us. Father in heaven, now come. Open up this text to us anew, I pray. It's a familiar text to many, and yet I pray for a new grace, a new encounter with you in and through Christ in these next few minutes. Grant us the gift of hope, future faith in Christ Jesus, I pray, no matter who we are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So number one, the circumcision of Jesus. Verse 21, at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, 
He was, call, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So Mary and Joseph had Jesus circumcised as they ought to, as, as uh, devout Jews, according to the law, right on the eighth day. And, and it's at that time, and this is what turns it into a pointer for me, they gave him the name Jesus, the name Jesus, that the angel had told Joseph to give to Jesus. He said, you shall, name, you, sh- you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves. Or salvation is in Yahweh. Salvation is Yahweh. So there's the point here, very simply. Luke spends one verse on the circumcision. And all I'm taking away in this first point is the circumcision ceremony and the subsequent naming of Jesus at eight days old becomes an occasion to point to Jesus, to proclaim Jesus as the Savior of the world. That's point number one. Point number two, be a little longer. The presentation of Jesus. So now, now it's 40 days after Jesus' birth, 33 days after his circumcision. And Mary and Joseph take Jesus up to the temple in accordance with the Jewish ceremonial law. They were to, to present Jesus and also to go about a ceremonial purification. I'll explain this. Let me read verse 22. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So first, what is this ceremonial purification? According to Leviticus 12, a sacrifice of a yearling lamb and a pigeon or a dove was required to be offered for the ceremonial cleansing of the mother who gave birth to this to the firstborn son. And here we learn, actually, about the, I could say poverty, I could say lack of affluence of Mary and Joseph, because they could not afford a lamb. And yet the ceremonial law made a provision for the poor, also in Leviticus 12, that read like this, If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves, or Two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for her, and she shall be clean. And that's exactly what Mary and Joseph did. They offered the either the two turtle doves or the two pigeons because they were poor. It just strikes me that Surely they didn't know that by their son's sacrifice, his death, he would do away with these ceremonial cleansings for forgiveness once and for all, as he would offer up himself a sacrifice for sins, cleansing his people once and for all by his own death. What about this presentation? So, so that was the, 
the ceremonial purification. What about this presentation? It's a presentation of the firstborn. Uh, I'll read again here from Luke 22. And when the time came, Mary and Joseph brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, it's Exodus 13, 1. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So Mary and Joseph brought Jesus, their firstborn, to the Lord. Presenting him, consecrating him, setting him apart as holy for God, for God's purposes, and for God's glory. You know, in reading this, I, I cannot help but reflect on probably, I don't know, I, one of my favorite moments in church life is the dedication of parents and children. Is it not? Together with your parents who love you dearly, and this people who care about the outcome of your faith, I dedicate you to God, surrendering, surrendering together with them all worldly claims upon your life in the hope that you will belong wholly to Jesus Christ forever. And all the people said, yeah, that's right. I just, I just flash into this. So Mary and Joseph did that, but more. But more. And Luke doesn't mention the other thing. Usually, parents of firstborns, especially if they were not from the tribe of Levi, you know, Joseph is from the tribe of Judah, King David's tribe. Instead of presenting their son to the Lord for priestly service, they would give an offering of five shekels as the law prescribed in order to redeem their firstborn sons from serving as priests. Get it? So most people, most parents of firstborns, would at this moment give an offering of five shekels in order to redeem their son from being consecrated to the Lord as a priest would be. But rather, Mary and Joseph presented Jesus to the Lord God, consecrating him. As a priest, like a priest. So here, here's the pointer I see. The, the presentation of Jesus or the consecration of Jesus here becomes an occasion to proclaim Jesus as holy, consecrated, set apart for God's purposes, as a priest would be. And, and I just love the, the building, the, the, the thickness, the texture, the, the riches of who Jesus is. I mean, we know he's, he's, the, he's the promised son of David who had come to reign. And this pointer says, and he's, our great high priest, who is our one and only mediator between God and man, who will offer up himself for our sins and service our intercessor now and forever, bringing our needs before the throne of grace in order to help us in our time of need. Point number three. This is the longest one. 
the praise and the prophecy of Simeon. I mean, for a long time, my wife and I have kind of been drawn to Simeon. And I'll tell you why. This is really silly. Because when our kids were growing up, we had this tape called GT and the Halo Express. And it put all these Christmas, not all these, many of these Christmas texts to song. And our kids would sing Simeon's song. <laughs> and we memorized it and it just meant a lot to us. And we signed Christmas cards with, uh, with the words of Simeon. Who's Simeon? All we know about Simeon is here. It's the only place in the Bible he's mentioned. At the prompting of God, Simeon, uh, quote, came in the spirit into the temple, verse 27. And he was present there when Mary and Joseph arrived. So Simeon's there in Jerusalem. The text in verse 25 says he was righteous and devout. In other words... He was like Zechariah and Elizabeth, whom we saw in chapter 1, who were described as righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's chapter 1, verse 6. And verse 25 adds, And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It's full of the Holy Spirit. Spirit has come upon him to be in this particular place at this particular time to speak these particular words of praise and prophecy to Mary and Joseph. And verse 26 adds this about him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so, verse 25 had had said, he lived all his life waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting, see see why I'm seeing hope? He's living his life in hope of seeing the consolation of Israel. You might say, well, what's the consolation of Israel? Quite simply, if I just put verse 25 and 26 together, we can say, well, the consolation of Israel for which Simeon waits is the arrival of the person of the Lord's Christ. It's consolation that comes through the person of the Messiah. It's not as simple as an event, you know, like, you know, this, this one thing over here. It's, it's the person of the Messiah coming as the consolation of Israel. I wonder if that word, consolation, brings to mind Isaiah 40 for you. It does does for me. Isaiah 40. The word of God spoken to the people of Israel at a time of great suffering. They suffered at the hands of others and they suffered because of their sins. And oftentimes both were intertwined. God speaks these words of consolation to his people in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And then note the two areas that are mentioned that come next. Verse 2, Isaiah 40. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that, number one, her warfare is ended. And number two, Her iniquity is pardoned. 
These are the words of comfort. So God's people were afflicted by war, invasion, occupation, brutal killings, evil being done to them. They were afflicted by the rhythms of triumph and defeat and then exile and displacement taken to another land. And that kind of suffering creates in a people a yearning, a yearning for words of consolation and comfort, words of peace. And likewise, a people afflicted by relentless waves of their own sin, their bondage to it, the good that I want to do, I don't do. Alienation from God, the allure of idolatry and fear of God's inevitable just judgment. If you, if, if you live with awareness of your sins, you long for a word of comfort. It would be a word of pardon, forgiveness. Which is the very promise here in Isaiah 40, verse 2. Speak tenderly to to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned. There are other promises of consolation. Let me give you a few more words to fill it out a little bit. Isaiah 57, 18. I will heal him, God says to his people Israel. I will lead them and restore comfort to him. And his mourners. Here's another one from Isaiah. Isaiah 49, 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult. O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people. And he will have compassion on his afflicted. So the consolation of Israel that Simeon longs for has come in the person of Jesus the Lord's Christ. And he's come to bring this consolation, this peace and pardon. And I could also add those other words from the other texts, healing and leading and comfort and joy. Glad we started this service with comfort and joy. It's the consolation of Israel that Simeon has so long awaited the Christ coming with peace and pardon. You know, if that seems far away from you, we try to persuade you it's not. Think of war as a, as a sin being done to you. Suffering. Every one of us has, is a sufferer. Everyone here has been sinned against. 
And as such, you need the Lord's consolation, his peace. And every one of us is not only a sufferer, but also a sinner. We look within and we see our own sins and and we need the consolation of Christ's pardon. This kind of thinking, this is biblical thinking. I mean, go no further than Isaiah 40 verse 2. This kind of thinking is very counter-cultural right now because there's a Marxist stream out there that says, look, divide the world into oppressors and oppressed. Which are you? Are you a sinner or a sufferer? Everybody's going to say, I'm a sufferer, right? (laughs) And here's the weird thing about it. Sufferers commit sin on other people and therefore inevitably become oppressors and sinners. We cannot escape both. We're both. Don't buy it. We are sufferers because sins have been done to us. We've suffered even even the results of sin in the world, death and sickness. Sin's been done to us. And we need the consolation of Israel in peace. And we have sinned. All of us. And we need the consolation of Israel that comes in Christ. In his pardon. Simeon then breaks out into praise. (laughs) He sees Mary and Joseph coming. I'm assuming Mary or Joseph, let's say Mary is holding Jesus in her arms. and They're coming in the temple. And the Holy Spirit confirms in Simeon's head and heart. That baby, he's the one. He's the promised one. And Simeon reaches out. <laughs> he, takes, he takes the baby out of Mary's arms and he, and he holds Jesus in his arms. And he, see, this is verse 28. He, he, he took him and he, he's just holding him and looking at the consolation of Israel. What a moment. No Rembrandt painted it. And then Simeon prayed, and he praised God, saying, verse 28, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. (laughs) Seeing Jesus is seeing God's salvation. (laughs) He's seeing the consolation of Israel. It's come, it's begun. And then Simeon speaks of what the scriptures and the spirit have made clear. Crystal clear here. And this is, this is the, so far in Luke, we're only in chapter two. It's the clearest declaration that salvation is for all peoples. The light of Christ is for all peoples. We heard it in the angel's words, but here. 
Simeon makes it clear, crystal clear. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, the nations, the, 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 the all peoples, people like you and me who aren't Jews. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people, Israel. So, Jesus came to, to, as Messiah, as Christ, as Savior, as consolation of Israel and all people. And, and he's, a, he's a light to the Gentiles as the Gentiles see him and come to him for salvation. He's glory to his people, Israel, because salvation is from Israel, the Savior of the world, is the Jewish Messiah. And the people of Israel receive glory from God in that manner. Now, before they departed, verse 34 says, Simeon blessed them. And then, filled with the Spirit of God, Simeon spoke this prophetic word. To Mary, the mother of Jesus. Verse 34, he said, Behold, or look, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. So, first he says, This Jesus, the Christ, will cause the fall and rise of many. So, he comes as the consolation of Israel, the Savior. And Simeon prophesies and just makes it clear that many will fall because of him. People will stumble on him and reject him. Reject his kingdom and reject his consolation as if they didn't need it. And Simeon makes clear that he will cause the rising of many to the kingdom of God and to the receipt, being recipients of his consolation and citizens of his reign. So it's, it's very sobering. And he makes it even more sobering. As he presses in and says, the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Verse 35. And I looked up that word thoughts. It's always used negatively. It's not like good thoughts. It's like bad thoughts. Five times Luke uses it always negatively. Eight times in the rest of the New Testament always negatively. So what's he saying? Jesus coming will cause the exposure of bad thoughts, sinful thoughts, wickedness, duplicity, hypocrisy in many of us, in us, in people. There will be no more pretending because with Jesus, all the innermost thoughts will be exposed and revealed, and I just see this as a beautiful mercy. Because if you don't see, if you don't see the thoughts in your heart, the negative, sinful thoughts, you won't hope for a consolation of pardon and peace. 
So this is a mercy. And actually, if you don't know the inner workings of your head and heart, you might not even admit that you're a sufferer and that you need comfort from God. No other comfort will do. Then Simeon took it another step. Assuming he's looking right at Mary and says, verse 35, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. He just foretells the anguish Mary's going to go through as the mother of Jesus. Why didn't he say something to Joseph? I mean, the inference is Joseph has died by the time Jesus is crucified. Mary is alive at the crucifixion and she sees it all. She sees the rejection. She hears the crucify him. She sees the injustice of the rulers and religious leaders. She sees the soldiers spit on him and strip him naked and flog him 39 lashes and nail him to the wooden killing mechanism and she's there when he dies. So he's just telling her that this Jesus, though he will suffer much and cause her much anguish, he will he is still the consolation of Israel. And she'll know. She's at she's in the upper room with the disciples in Acts chapter two. She knows he, he rises from the dead. And all will be well. So, this interaction with Simeon, I just see as, man, oh man, a God-ordained pointer to proclaim Jesus as the Lord's Christ, the consolation of Israel, in whom is all our divine peace and all our hope for pardon. Fourth, very quickly. Before they left the temple, they came upon Anna, another elderly, devout person of impeccable character. And the text tells us that, that she was, this is verse 36, a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. And as a widow, she dedicated her life to the worship of God. Verse 37. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. (laughs) Dedicated her life. So that's what she did. For 84 years. We don't have any of her words. But it appears that she's there when Simeon is giving thanks to God and and speaking to Mary. Blessing the couple and um, 
holding the baby Jesus. And, and then verse 38 says of Anna, at that very hour she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Jesus to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So that's my fourth pointer in this text. The thanksgiving of Anna was ordained by God to spread the word that Jesus is the Christ to all who were waiting for the Messiah. Four moments, all pointing to Jesus as the Lord's Christ, the consolation of Israel, the hope for peace for all who suffer, and the hope for pardon for all sinners, the light to the Gentiles. Salvation is found in no one else, no one else in the world, for there's no other name by which, under heaven by which we must be saved. So the word goes out through Anna and through us, generation after generation after generation. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word. Thanks for the light of hope in this text that shines so clearly, pointing us to Jesus, the Christ of God, God's Messiah over and over and over again, Savior and High Priest and our consolation. Fill our hearts, I pray, and shape us like you shaped Joseph and Mary and Simeon and Anna with the with the impact of being formed by hope in the Messiah. May it change how we live every single day of our lives, I pray, as we rest in the comfort and joy that's ours in Christ Jesus. All these things we pray for the glory of your name and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.